society, change comes from us individuals. And so it's basically it's easier to confront a problem and address it than to run away from it because you know that eventually you know these problems are going to catch up and they're just going to become bigger. And I think feeling comfortable in my own skin helped me try to feel like I could be a voice for those that, that are voiceless. Changemakers highlights passionate people who contributed strong changes to the community. Their stories may inspire you to make a difference or think bigger for society. In this episode, we'll be hearing from two activists in Hong Kong. The first one, Cosmo Beatson, the executive director of Vision First, an organization advocating refugees' rights. And later in the program, I'll speak to another activist, Beth Habworth, who's a prominent gay rights advocate. Cosmo Beatson founded Vision First in 2009 after his volunteering experience with the refugees. Vision First aims to help asylum seekers and refugees to safeguard their rights in Hong Kong. My journey in social work started at a relatively late age. I was 42. And when I was 22 or 32, you know, if somebody spoke to me about this stuff, I would have probably shrugged my shoulders. And the time was not ripe. So I think in everybody's life, there are different phases and um, to understand that you want other you want to treat others the way you want to be treated and the fact that um, everybody has to make an effort to make society a better place this is something that comes at a at a, at a certain phase in your life and you know some people could could uh, understand this earlier some people later i probably i probably got this later basically looking for something to do something to keep me occupied in charity work and just by chance i volunteered at a charity in christian Ac christian action in chunky mansion and there i met a lot of refugees and uh, eventually i decided that it was more important it was probably a better option for me to start a new organization than to work for somebody else. Although I was a volunteer, but um, I just figured it was better to create our own space to do things in our, in our way. Right. I suppose that having been in private business and worked for myself for 20 years, it's not easy to then um, adopt the, the working methods of other organizations. It's just easier to do something that you follow with your own rules and regulations in your own style. So it wasn't confrontational in any way. It was just a natural progression of identifying a need and and deciding that uh, it was there was space for another agency to help refugees in Hong Kong. It's been a, an evolution because obviously none of us was trained in running an NGO and working in social services. The progression went from your typical traditional NGO that focuses on programs to help a few individuals, even if it's a few hundred individuals, to thinking more um, in a broader way about the whole community and how to improve the delivery and the provision of services by the government to the thousands. You know, there are 6,000 um, protection claimants in Hong Kong and there are two, three agencies helping them. Uh, if there were 20, it would still not be enough because Hong Kong government is definitely not pulling its weight in uh, welfare, assistance, advice, 
um, legal help, education, medical assistance, there's probably a $100 million gap. So have two or three or 20 agencies helping refugees is uh, still doesn't, doesn't fill these gaps. Problem is that Hong Kong government is, uh, one could say, paralyzed in the service to this community. Um, activities in Hong Kong, the way Vision First has moved the, the asylum debate forward, I think is quite unique. We brought an exposure to the problems that had never been done before. Vision First mobilizes um, protests, demonstrations, or even the media. We are unparalleled in the way, in our approach and in our determination to get things done in a very direct and bold way back then. But we, you know, we're not, we're not just an ordinary refugee agency. We have a vision of how society should be. We have a very clear idea of how bias, prejudice, and discrimination have to be fought, not just, and I just think it's important that we don't just leave these big issues in the hands of the government, because sometimes the authorities don't necessarily think in the best interests of society. Realize that it's actually the government that's failing to address these legitimate basic needs then it just flows from this that you have to advocate to, to draw the government's attention to these missed um, obligations. Cosmo believes that the Hong Kong government in some ways fails to meet the basic needs of asylum seekers and refugees. In order to fight for justice, he's even more determined to expose the poor housing conditions among refugees. The government has, in, has welcomed asylum seekers to seek protection in Hong Kong. Yep. The government is prohibiting them from working, but at the same time is not providing sufficient welfare assistance. Um, there are huge, huge problems. The main ones is housing. How do you rent a room for 1,500? The second one would be um, on the food side. How do you survive on $40 a day for three meals? Particularly when we know that there's, there's value lost in the distribution chain. The third major problem is homelessness and hunger in the new arrival group. So we know of about 50 new claimants who are basically living in the streets in Kowloon. They, have, don't, they don't get in enough food. Um, they're begging for food. They don't get housing. And when they do find a room to share with somebody, they usually have to pay $1,000 a month in, for a bed space, and then they have to work for that. So. There are such huge gaps where the government has to be brought to account. And in fact, it's the government's duty to meet the basic needs. So as you see, there's a lot of photos in our office of slums. In, um, in, a, in a city like Singapore, there are no asylum seekers, there's no refugees. Why? Because they never signed the torture convention. So they, don't, they never welcomed um, international citizens to seek asylum in their cities. So there are no complaints about a system there because the government has been very straightforward. And in fact, it is probably advisable, even for Hong Kong, where the government is not serious about granting protection, to consider the option of stepping away from these international treaties because you are, on the one hand, unable 
to to provide protection. And on the other hand, um, refugees are suffering so much while they wait for these five, seven, ten years to be processed. So to reduce human suffering, one has to really look at the big picture and say, look, we have there have been. 14,000 asylum seekers who, who came to Hong Kong to seek protection. Um, of these, only 22 individuals were actually recognized as victims of torture, including eight children, many, many of, who, of which were actually of whom were born in Hong Kong. So in a situation where you have an acceptance rate of 0.2%, what is Hong Kong actually serious about granting asylum? Um, we had good relations with uh, four or five lawmakers. But because they are in the opposition and because they are not in the establishment, what power do they have? So it becomes rather pointless. We did this for a couple of years, but lobbying through the Legislative Council doesn't work because the people who are interested, the people who are, let's say, on the pro-democracy side, less tied to just following the government's uh, wishes, they have no power. They admit that. So where does that leave that? That's, that, leaves, uh, that really reduces the options to exposing problems, to empowering refugees to speak for themselves, and keep complaining about a situation until probably, possibly, due to this exposure and the fact that um, the plaintiffs are not shutting up, the government will eventually treat them in a more humane and compassionate way. Cosmo empowers asylum seekers and refugees to learn about the legal rights they are entitled to have. We are basically confronting a situation that is so averse to change, where the government is set staunchly in abusing refugee rights in failing to provide the minimum for their welfare. And this is happening across all departments. So where you're fighting a system that is so entrenched in doing things wrong, you can't really expect change because that would be wishful thinking. I think, of course, of course I'm in no mind, I'm not thinking of giving up or changing the course of action, but you just know that this is a huge mountain. And whether you attack it, you know, with a spade and a bucket or a bulldozer, it's just a huge mountain to move. Our main job is to expose the problem, give hope to people who are stuck here and are actually effectively hopeless, and to motivate them to never give up because obviously if they're stuck in Hong Kong, they are unable to return to their country they're not going to be able to move on to another developed country to seek asylum. So this and the way we assess our relationship with our, with, with our members, refugee members, is that they have the same rights that we have as citizens. And if something is not good for me and my family, then why is it good for them? So you can't have a two-tier system where education, welfare, medical assistance is good for ID card holders and it's bad for refugees because obviously you know we're all the same we're all human beings in this on this in the same in the same city this is where they are and uh, vision first will stand by their side shoulder to shoulder and make sure that um, we put up a good fight 
smoke connects deeply with the asylum seekers and refugees, and throughout the journey, he understands more about the meanings of humanity, suffering, and hardship. But you know, they they submitted to a, a culture of rejection where hopelessness led to inertia and、um, a passive approach. And definitely, Vision First has revitalized this field by giving. Previously, less forthcoming individuals, giving them much more determination to step forward and voice their concerns and demand what they're actually entitled to. And we put this in a legal context. It's not just a mad dash for something impossible, but it's actually explaining to refugees that this is what they're entitled to. In fact, it is hard to find great individuals whose Value has not been shaped by suffering. This is this is at least is my experience in life. It's through hardship that the great value that people are tested, and when you emerge from these tests, you usually have a stronger character than somebody who's just easily sail through life, because self-reflection and understanding of human suffering in a global way doesn't come. I mean, it's not one usually isn't born a philosopher, you know, reflecting on the conditions of, of humanity. It takes hardship, and because refugees have been through so much, and they are survivors, because otherwise they wouldn't be here fighting for a space in the world. Then their their personality and their drive and their values and their determination is something that you one can easily find very inspiring. Because that you know is you get tested under fire, and where the heat is strongest, you know the metal's going to be the strongest too. It's when you push very hard against the system that yes, you know you find you some people are going to disappoint you because you expected them to be to to be up for the game and to be stronger, you know, to be able to hold the line, so to speak. But other people will emerge, and、uh, this is very much what Vision First does, you know. Pushing everybody to the maximum, to their limit, including including myself, and、uh, we lose staff, we lose volunteers, we lose directors, but the strongest always remain, and we attract people who who are ready to to confront a system that we find to be unjust. So in that way, never compromising on weakness, and always always. Keeping a strong vision of what is right and what is wrong, so that means、um, evaluating、um, any situation from let's not call them victims, but you know, from the sufferer's point of view. This by walking in people's shoes, you really appreciate. You know, you understand where you want to go, and you understand better why you want to help people to get out of the situations that that they're in. So you see, ch- change comes from us individuals, and so it's basically it's easier to confront a problem and address it than to run away from it because you know that eventually you know these problems are going to catch up and they're just going to become bigger. It happens to be refugees today. Maybe in ten years, it'll be something different.、Uh, if you want to live a meaningful life, if you if you care about 
the individuals that the people that you meet then I just for me it's just a natural consequence that you would want to um, be bothered by their troubles and you know contribute something to see whether you can help to redress some injustices Bas Habworf came to Hong Kong 12 years ago. She is a gay rights advocate and is actively involved in LGBT communities as a way to speak out her frustration. So I think it's important uh, to, to self-identify because I'm comfortable to do that. So I am openly gay. I've been born gay. Um, there's absolutely no no doubt in my mind from a very early age um, that 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 I self-identified that way. I also self-identify as an urban hippie. <laughs> so I get inspired um, by, by community. I call myself an opportunity junkie. I've been involved in various community settings uh, for the nearly 12 years that I've been here in Hong Kong. And um, I must say, I, I'm from Australia, from Adelaide. And before I moved to Hong Kong, I met on the football field my now wife, Kirsty, and she's a pilot. And uh, they were training in in Adelaide. And being openly gay, um, that's something that wasn't uh, something I've sort of been an activist ever since I arrived. It's quite the opposite. Um, I've been very, very openly gay and proud. And almost that might be why I didn't get involved in the community. I um, worked in environmental settings I've, uh, for the Clean Air Network, for Ocean Recovery Alliance. I'm a TED junkie, so TEDx was something I naturally fell into and I curate TEDx Happy Valley. Um, I've done all kinds of different community things, got involved in social media and then ran this little uh, little business about empowering people to use their bodies. I think essentially in answer to your question about how did I get involved and in the LGBT community specifically, I think it's because things in my life started to be disrupted. And I think it's unfortunate but true that we we care about as much as we can in our life, but if it doesn't affect us, then we're not really – it's not on our radar or, or our gaydar, so to speak, as we, we say in the community. But for me, the there were some natural things that were frustrating but not enough to do something about, and I regret that in hindsight. Bass talks about the struggles being an openly gay in Hong Kong – she believes that homosexuals are often being discriminated against in the workplace and other scenarios. Um, for instance, moving to Hong Kong was difficult um, in terms of getting a visa. It, it, like We owe so much to the lawyer that we use and it's painstaking to carve that out. Um, I'm married, uh, you know, legally to to my wife through the UK, but that's not acknowledged in the in the Hong Kong system. So I have to keep going to the government and the immigration and asking, begging sometimes for them to renew my my visa. So that that was the first kind of point of disruption in in our life. Um, and then uh, we've gone on to have. T- two children now. I gave birth biologically to our son Flynn two and a half years ago and my wife just three months ago gave birth to our son Jude and you know neither of us are on the birth certificate. There were um, you know so the issues that started affecting us I kind of call institutionalized issues, institutionalized homophobia and I think feeling comfortable in my own skin 
helped me try to feel like I could be a voice for those that, that are voiceless and those that are scared or shamed or really struggling. So loud Aussies tend to make themselves heard wherever they go. And for me, really what's number one in my life right now is trying to create positive change um, by being a part of the movement on the right side of history in the LGBT community, both in Hong Kong but globally as well. Bass is now the social media manager of Out Leadership, a global LGBT leadership coaching firm. She understands the power of social media, and she thinks that awareness is the key to inclusion within our society. On a positive note, I think um, more and more is happening in the in the business space, which is why talking about segue to Out Leadership, the company that I now proudly proudly work for, um, it's amazing to see positive change happening through the business community and and looking at the the power of collective. Um, Voices and the business community is one in Hong Kong that's obviously very well um, resonated on different issues, and so I foresee in Hong Kong in particular that the business, the role of business, is extremely powerful and extremely influential. Um, just last week uh, in China, the, if you track Weibo, um, a, a gay marriage happened on the soil of the British consulate by the British consulate general and his partner, now husband. I mean that's. Phenomenal progress. There's power in allies. It's not just about the LGBT community. This is about inclusion. It's about equality. And you're seeing more and more people who who are heterosexual standing up for gay rights because, in some senses, I know a lot of youth and I work with a lot of youth around LGBT issues in schools. They talk about this being the civil rights issue of their generation, and and essentially we're talking about equality and just wanting to be treated and accepted the same. There's Definitely, some unfortunate realities, and even in Hong Kong, with discrimination laws or lack of, you know, you can be gay in your workplace and actually um, be fired. There isn't the Equal Opportunity Commission and Dr. York Chow doing, you know, incredible work to try to change that, and so are many lobbyists. But right now, it exists that if you self-identify as openly LGBT, you could face discrimination. Um, I mean, my wife herself um, in the airline industry was was closeted for many years. And and she came out, um, you know, I kind of joke. She's run out of people to come out to now. She's kind of reached that other end of the spectrum where once you do come out, which is a journey for everybody, so that's a very personal thing. But I was very proud of her when when she was ready to do that. Um, how much of an effect that's that's had in a positive way, and for so many people that do come out because they've stopped hiding and they can let go, and the the mountain of weight that's on their shoulders really releases. And you know, we talk about presenteeism and disengagement and all these kind of um, issues in the workforce that prevent people doing their work. That loses companies millions of dollars. So it's actually a, a really good thing to have an inclusive culture, also from a creative stance standpoint and um, Productive standpoint, there's a lot going on to say that in the research of diversity, that diverse companies and diverse groups are more productive, more creative, more more innovative, and essentially that's creating more opportunities for them to earn money and I hate to keep banging on about money um, because if you knew me 12 years ago <laughs> I didn't even really have a bank account I you know I just have no clue but it really is the reality of of what is an incredible tool for advocacy because just imagine if they're already comfortable in their own skin and being authentic in their in their workplace that 
gives them limitless opportunity to be the best, um, you know, reach their potential and, and be the best they possibly can be. Uh, just recently in the US, we've had not one but two openly gay um, CEOs come, come out. And that's a really positive thing because until then, we didn't have anybody in the Fortune 500 that, that openly identifies. There's speculation of some. Um, and that's a really positive thing. If you know you're in a company and your your boss or you know your manager is openly gay, that that really sets you up to feel comfortable. Bass is inspired by an Ugandan activist. She now treasures the freedom that she can speak out for the voiceless in Hong Kong. I really see it as a pleasure, my role without leadership, and an honor to be the kind of the gatekeeper of social media information and seeing what's going on. As an example, with Uganda this year, when the laws were temporarily right now, the Ugandan law has been found to be um, not through due process. So there's a monitorium on um, the criminalisation of homosexuality and, and people that could potentially be jailed for life, if not were Sharia law actually has the death penalty in Uganda for, for people. But I witnessed on social media the Ugandan activists that were staying firm. They, they may be running and fleeing for their lives and moving from house to house, but through the power of technology, believe it or not, they were sharing their journey online. And one Ugandan activist changed uh, their on Twitter changed their name to I'm not going anywhere. I mean, nothing inspires me more than that. In general, I'm inspired by Viktor Frankl, who survived Auschwitz and was someone who was deeply um, prejudiced and discriminated against, as were so many others in the, the time of, of the uh, concentration camps. And he wrote an incredible book, Man's Search for Meaning. My whole life after reading that book, Change, because I think that kind of resilience or radical resilience, as I call it, um, is phenomenal. I'm not just inspired by LGBT, but people that are suffering in general. Um, my TEDx that I ran last year through Happy Valley was themed by Viktor Frankl, and I was incredibly lucky enough to have his successor, Dr. Alex Patakos, who talks about resilience. I brought out a Jewish um um, Israeli who is an artist who takes the rocket shrapnel on the Gaza Strip and right now he's being bombed and what's he doing as a way of you know protesting that or, or as a symbol of hope he takes those shrapnel and he carves peaceful statues uh, sculptures of of, of um, flowers of of candelabras of of bells you know he's sending me whatsapp messages just in the last few weeks of of you know video footage of 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 missiles going through and i'm not anybody caught in a in a situation that that is just a citizen of the world trying to live his life peacefully uh, is inspiring to me that he can live his life in a way that you know he's facing death all the time but can still be artistically expressing peace i mean i'm inspired by the activists in russia during the olympic games i'm you know this every day i see more and more people being incredibly resilient around the world and and here I am in Hong Kong, um, openly it, gay, living my life. You know, in another country, I would be potentially, I would be on death row. I'd have the death penalty, or I'd be criminalised in the, you know, imprisoned. And so I don't take lightly the the privilege that it is to live in a in a society, in a Western society, that at least I'm not, you know, living in fear in the way that some people do. So I kind of feel now that. I feel obligated and absolutely empowered beyond belief to 
to use that freedom that I have to be a voice for those that that can't speak out or or that are speaking out but have to be very careful about what they do. And Out Leadership gives me an opportunity to do that. And the progress that that is being achieved by that company alone is awe-inspiring. Thanks to our guests who are the change makers, Cosmo Beetson, the executive director of Vision First, and Bas Hepworth, social media manager from Out Leadership, for sharing their inspiring stories. Here marks the end of this series of change makers. Thank you for listening. <laughs>